This Week in Wealth is powered by Alpha Wealth Group. If you're serious about retirement and have saved $250,000 or more, call Alpha Wealth Group's Tom Fortino now, 630-934-1855 or alphawealthgroup.com. Alpha Wealth Group, retirement made simple. Hey, good morning, Chicago. Welcome back to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink, WGN talk show host and the CEO of Best Money Moves, my financial wellness company. And I'm Tom Fortino. I'm the principal and founder of the Alpha Wealth Group right here in Chicagoland area. So if you want to talk with Tom, you want to ask us a question, give us a call 630-934-1855. Or you can always go to alphawealthgroup.com and download some of Tom's really wonderful information that you can find on that site. All right. So, Tom, it's been another crazy week in the markets. But Mm -hmm. the good news is inflation looks like it's subsiding a bit. And the Federal Reserve decided to pause interest rates or the rise of interest rates, although they Mm -hmm. say they're going to do some more later on this year. But I, I don't know about you. I still think pausing right now is a good thing. You? Well, I think it is because there's a lag time, right? We You just have to wait. You keep doing things and doing things. I mean, as far as maybe the inflation coming down, what's the net effect going to be? It's not going to happen tomorrow. So this was such a rapid rise. In fact, the fastest rise basically from zero to 100 or 0% to 5%, I should say, really. Yeah. In just a short order, you know, we saw what happened with the banks. We saw, you know, some of the carnage, so to speak, maybe not the best word. Or the results or consequences. So, yeah, it's good to pause for a second. Let's just take a breath, right? Yeah, I, I still don't think we we know exactly what's going to come down the pike. One I thing that I, I learned, and you and I have discussed this a little bit, is the kind of fallout from commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is starting to get handed back. It's got, you know, the fact that nobody's going back to the office or only maybe a third of people are going two days a week and not five days a week. Sure. And there's... Uh, unintended consequences. Anyway, I we got a question from last week's show, and I thought we could answer it because it really relates to this issue of inflation and interest rates and what's going to happen. Uh, so let's kick things off mm-hmm. doing that. Um, here's the question. I have about $6,000 in bonds, Series A. They're all way past maturity. I don't know if I should cash them in, put them into savings, pick out a CD where rates are going up, or if I should just leave them where they are. How does this work? What should I do? And sh- I guess I should answer that, right? Okay. Tom, what do you think about this? <laughs> well, when we're talking about it, I think she's talking about Series E bonds. What happens is, and, and, and you know, we've talked about this before, Elise, you can go to treasurydirect.gov, and it is. It's Treasury Direct. You can buy I bonds. You can buy E bonds. You can buy different types of bonds that are available to you, the 10-year treasuries, T-bills, and so on. You can do all of these directly. These are bonds in your portfolio. Now, there's a, directly to this type of bond, a Series E bond is typically a tax-deferred bond. You buy it. Used to be years ago, you know, if you bought a $100 savings bond, you buy it half your downstroke, for lack of a better word, you 50 bucks. It would eventually get to the 100 and over a certain period. It used to be 12 years. It's, it's maybe a little more now. And it would continue to grow maybe at a lower interest rate going forward for the next 30 years. In this case, it sounds like the interest, it, it, after that, it stops. You're getting nothing. So, you know, of course, I would say, yeah, you, you want to reposition that somewhere where you can get some interest rates, especially now since interest rates are higher. Now, keep in mind with EE bonds or E-bonds, if it's tax deferred, you'll pay a tax on it. So if you are if you put 3000 or 2000 into it, it's worth six. It's all income taxable. So that three or 4000 for anyone out there that has these EE bonds or savings bonds that they've held for years, 
you know, you can again go right onto Treasury Direct. It will show you the current value, which is if you've had it for many years, is probably much higher than the than the actual value of the bond. So this is, you know, something I would suggest people do. I mean, this whole bond thing, especially with interest rates that have been increasing as part of the portfolio. I, I don't know if this is your thought, Elise, but, it, you know, sometimes it's the boring part of the portfolio. Not so much anymore. And so yeah. I think a lot of us need to re reevaluate our bond positions. Yeah, we really haven't talked favorably about bonds for the past two plus years of the show. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, we're seeing rates getting pushed up past 5%, closing mm-hmm. in on 6%. That's not bad. No. I mean, you know, you can go Schwab's money market, Fidelity's money market. Now, again, these can change because it's not, you know, you buy a 10-year treasury and get whatever the rates are, or, you know, let's say it's 3.7. I'm just, I don't know the exact rate today, but you'll have that for 10 years, right? Now, you buy a money market or a three-month T-bill or something, that rate is only good for that period of time. You know, so we see five month, you you know, five percent over five percent, you know, on some of these T bills. You have to remember that ends. You have to reinvest it. So you have to stay on top of that. Maybe the longer duration bonds or something you should look at. There's also, I know we referenced this article. There were other ideas in here on your fixed piece where you can get some good rates. But there's also, so it's really corporate bonds, treasuries. These can be all part of your fixed. You can ladder them. You know, many of these websites where you can get a six-month, one-year, two-year CDs, you ladder them so, you know, there's some liquidity every six months, a portion of it's coming due. Um, those are all strategies in the bonds. They also mention structured notes. You know, I use structured notes in portfolios for clients. I like them. I think they're a good... Now, there's never Tell one... Me, wait, wait. Tell but, me what you mean by structured notes, because I think we haven't used that term before. We haven't or we have? I don't we think have. we have. <laughs> we have. Well, here we go. We're, we're, All right, we're so let's do it again. Ground. We're breaking new ground. I, I can't remember, so clearly <laughs> we need a refresher. Okay. Well, structured notes are just to give you, there's more involved here, of course. We, we get, can't get too far into the weeds, but they're um, provided by um, large institutions. They offer these structured notes. And again, I like to add them as a piece. There's not one, there's never one piece of the overall portfolio. Let's say you put a 10% position as part of your fixed. Here's typically, and again, I'm giving you general rules how they work. They pay a pretty high yield. Real, lately, they've paid about 10%. Again, you really should do your homework on these, and I'm more than happy to get information to you on these and how they actually work. It's almost like a put, but the way it works is it's usually a 12-month maturity. They will pay you 10% or more, whatever. The, again, every month they come out on our end. And so I use these in portfolios. There's a downside risk uh, that underlies these where um, if the market drops a certain percent. But typically, again, the idea is if the market doesn't drop, you will get that, that yield for at least six months. Again, the ones I'm talking about, they're not callable for six months, so you, you, the minimum time you hold them typically is six, the maximum 12 months. So it's just a strategy that are these, they're structured because there's underlying indexes, but you can get a higher yield in your portfolio potentially, and it might make sense to add it on as part of the fixed. Super interesting. And I think that, you know, for a lot of our listeners, their ears probably perked up at what? 10%? I can get 10%? All right. If you want to talk with Tom about this, 630 
934-1855, or you could go to alphawealthgroup.com, leave us a message, leave him a message, say 10%, want to know more. And remember, folks, it's it may be 10% today, it right. may not be 10% tomorrow, these things change over time, and yes. we just want to make sure that you're right, that you're getting yeah, exactly the right information. Right. Mm-hmm. These are examples and not not promises. As everybody yes. knows, yes. past performance is no guarantee <laughs> of future results. All right. And Thank with you. that, you're welcome. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the answers to some questions that we got and some things about ESG investing. Stay tuned. You're listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink here with Tom Fortino. We are talking about your money today, uh, 630-934-1855. If you want to join the conversation or you can always go to alphawealthgroup.com. All right. So, Tom, we're seeing more investors wanting to put their money where their mouth is, and Mm -hmm. they're basing some decisions on principles that are kind of near and dear to their heart. And by that, I mean corporate ethics, clean industry, Mm -hmm. fair wages, the official ESG funds that we're hearing so much about. And other people don't want to invest according to, you know, things that don't meet their social views. Some people Mm -hmm. just want to make as much money as possible. So how do you navigate this with your clients? And how do you help people screen portfolios for companies that align or don't align? Is this something you ask about? And by the way, just what's the big political deal with ESG funds? Why is it (laughs) that the government feels like this is even an issue they want to talk about? (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting when you talk about this, you really have to be careful. You know, they always say, don't talk politics, religion, whatever, right? And so when you politics gets involved in the investing world, it can be, uh, it can be touchy. It can, as you know, I mean, when we talk about these things, this is my opinion. That's why it gets a little problematic. It's very difficult. Again, it, it can be to your detriment in some cases. You know, Elon Musk, I don't know if you said recently where he came out. I don't know if you saw his quote. He said, ESG is the devil. Now, I'm just, that's Elon Musk. Okay. What's interesting some is. Some people think Elon Musk <laughs> is the devil, but I mean, we're just talking here. But what's interesting is Tesla scored lower than Philip Morris on the ESG scale. And so an electric car company versus, but it's, you know, again, so we could talk all about the, the ESG and um, the fiduciary responsibility, the transparency, you know, it's just, it's a tough one. I think personally, you know, the companies should look for shareholder value. Of course, that's the whole concept. And if you really want to impact and you're seeing this happen, it's more at the shareholder level, the, you know, their board meetings, the, the, any type of the, when they get together for shareholder Mm -hmm. meetings, that's, I think, where you're going to impact the companies. Because sometimes you, again, this example of ESG, Philip Morris gets a higher score than Tesla, the, an electric car company. I mean, something is off there. And so, and the, some of this stuff is not transparent. So again, it's, it can be problematic from the standpoint of transparency, actually following their fiduciary obligation to the shareholders. And so you just have to be careful. Now, if you're owning individual stocks, that's a little different, right? You can pick and choose. Hey, I don't want this stock. I don't want that stock. But when you're buying indexes, like if you own the S&P index fund or you own an index fund, they own a basket of stocks and it's not going to change regardless, right? So that's why I say if, if, for those that really want to be active or make change, it really happens at the shareholder level. And so that's kind of my thought on it. Well, that makes sense. You know, 
No, it totally does. Uh, there are always going to be people, I think, who want to support the things that they think are important. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, a few years ago, YWCA w- uh, introduced the Woman uh, Mutual Fund, which okay. is a socially responsible fund. And what that fund does, and I think it has five stars for Morningstar or okay. four stars, but so it's well-rated. But what they do is they screen all the major companies for maybe 19 or 20 factors. How many women are in executive positions? How many women get promoted? What's the pay disparity? All that kind of stuff. And people who invest in that feel like they're supporting companies that actually support women and that's important to them and they those companies by the way are doing fine but mm-hmm. you know there are other companies that don't so i do i do think there are some people who would be willing to do that or want to do that and maybe don't know how to go about yeah. thinking about it what do you what do you say to them you know the to your point these there are a lot of funds out there you can do you know these exchange traded funds there's been this proliferation the exchange traded fund like a mutual fund is a basket of stocks but there's so many out there. It's just, you know, you can buy an exchange-traded fund that not only is in the, um, let's say, the energy sector, but it can be in the mining, or I mean, sorry, exploration. It can be in, or if you buy a healthcare sector fund, you can buy healthcare, you can buy pharmaceutical, that is a subsector of that sector, you know. And so there's so many available. It's, it's the the uh, ESG, if you want to call me ESG, or socially responsible funds, They I think they were called that before. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you just do a, you just do a search. You'll find hundreds, hundreds of them. And then you take the due diligence of understanding, okay, what are the holdings in here and understand it a little bit further, but they are readily available to you through any platform, whether it's Fidelity, Schwab and in anywhere too. And so it's not, not difficult to get them in your portfolio if you choose to get them. Yeah. And I think you have to look at not just what it is, right? But you also want to look at what impact it's going to have on your finances, right? That's the whole yeah, point of investing. Of- <laughs> so it's like, a, it's not an unimportant point. So I think it's good maybe to take a portion of the amount that you have, and that's what you dedicate to socially responsible investing. Sure. And you take another part portion and you're like, well, this is going to be bonds or this is going to be other parts of the stock market. I, I just feel like it's good to certainly invest along your mm-hmm. conscience, right? Mm-hmm. Or your yeah. values. Values investing, really, really important. Different, different of course, from value investing, that go. extra <laughs> S, right? But I do think people, you know, you have to look overall, are, are ESG funds actually meeting your investment needs? Because at sure. the end of the day, that's what you're going to be relying on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you want to take a look at them. On the flip side, this was a long time ago. It's maybe not the best. I think they have these vice funds. You know, they just all they have is either, they have tobacco, um, <laughs> alcohol, liquor, <laughs> liquor, alcohol. right? <laughs> uh, <there's, laughs> Tobacco, firearms. Too. The world is Wait, tobacco, too. firearms, and what's <laughs> other dr- drugs? Marijuana companies? Probably, I don't, I don't yeah, know. I don't know, but they're out there too. There's Do you know what's shortage. funny about that? You, it's like you say drug companies, and it could just be like Pfizer, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, so if you want to talk with Tom or ask us a question, we want you to give us a call, 630-934-1855. And you can always go to alphawealthgroup.com. That's Tom's website. When you're there, 
by the way, take a look at the free retirement planning packet, five pillars of your retirement plan. Tom is happy to send that to you. You can download the income planning package, estate planning, asset planning, investment plan, and tax planning packages, all of that at alphawealthgroup.com. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit more about questions that we have. So coming up, um, I'm going to ask you, Tom, about contributing to an HSA because they, mm-hmm. we got that question last week. And this is a little bit more related, but the pluses <clears throat> and minuses of ETFs. I know exchange-traded funds. So I know that people ask a lot of questions about that. We got a few in, and I want to make sure that we are getting those questions answered for everybody. All right, so start thinking of your answer. Okay. And uh, we'll nice. be back. Take some notes. I know I hear the pencil scratching right now. All right. We will be back in a moment. We're going to take a short break. Uh, You're listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the second half of This Week in Wealth. If you're just joining us, I'm Elise Glink, CEO of Best Money Moves, and I'm here with Tom Fortino, the founder and principal of the Alpha Wealth Group. You can always join the conversation, 630-934-1855. You can call or text that number. You can also leave us a message at alphawealthgroup.com. All right, Tom. So this is where we typically answer questions. We got a bunch of them that uh, I wanted to get to this week. So question number one, thanks so much for the show. Can you contribute to an HSA after you retire or turn 65? Well, the key with the HSA is is once, and this is typically when you hit 65, of course, Medicare is available to you in the vast, vast majority. I don't know the exact percentage, but pretty much everyone (laughs) goes on to Medicare. Once you start Medicare, you cannot you cannot contribute to an HSA. So it's not so much sixty five, but is once you turn or once you turn on Medicare or start taking that, you can no longer contribute to an HSA. But otherwise you can. And we talked about these last time as a good strategy to create more tax free tax free income or a tax free bucket, uh, tax free money in retirement. And certainly this is an opportunity for that. So if you are on Medicare, but you're still earning money, and you're on a high, de- you wouldn't be, I guess, on a high deductible health care plan at that point, right? Yeah. If you are, again, if you are taking Medicare, you cannot contribute to an HSA. That's it. There's no other, doesn't matter what else is going on. So, you know, typically, uh, again, you pro- you're going to want to be doing this prior to that point. And so I, I think it's a great program. I think we talked, we had, there was that article I don't know if it was a few weeks ago, um, but it was the savings. It said the savings account that's 17% better than a 401k because contributions, (laughs) yeah, contributions go in tax deductible. So basically tax-free contributions, they grow tax-free and you pull them out tax-free for qualified medical expenses. And so really this is another piece beyond contributing to either a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA. You got HSAs. That's another tax-free component. That you can be can be used in your retirement plan, and I don't think as many people take advantage of it as they could. No, that's true. And this year, the amount went up for the HSA, didn't it? It's not. It's like seven thousand. I'm I'm asking because I don't really know, but it's more than it's yeah. gone up. I think. Yeah, depending on your age, if you're over fifty five, you can put up uh, an individual can put in five thousand one hundred and fifty. And for couples, it's 10300 or family, 10300 So, I mean, you think about that, that's deductible. So if you put that in, you can take that 10000 right off your tax return, you know, and if you're in a whatever tax bracket, 24% tax bracket, that's $2,400 less in taxes. Plus, 
it continues to grow tax-free, and they call it the triple tax threat. And on the back end, you pull it out tax-free. I mean, it's kind of hard to beat. And we know we're going to have medical expenses in retirement. So um, how <laughs> yes. about if we just, you know, instead of pulling out of an account that we have to pay tax on, why don't we pull out of an account where it's tax-free? That's a, So that's a tax-free expense in retirement. Are there any limitations on what you can use that money for when you pull it out? I mean, I guess you could use it for drugs. Could you pay a premium with it, for example? You can pay a premium with it, too. Yeah, yeah, you can. And so there's a list of things, and most of these things are, you know, they're part of your medical expenses. So we're going to have them. It's just like if you had, imagine if you had, I don't know if this is the best example, but if you had a uh, food savings account where, because we're going to, you know, you're going to spend money on food, you know, you're going to spend money on property tax or whatever. If you could have this this vehicle that allowed you to do that, um, otherwise you're going to be taking money potentially out of an IRA or a 401k, and you're going to have to pay tax on it to use that in retirement. So. This is really, I think, somewhat of an overlooked bill. It's part of, you know, I, I have this report. You were referring to them earlier, Lisa. I have seven ideas of getting to tax-free. This is one of them, okay? So these are ideas to get you to really start to incorporate this into your overall plan. I love that. All right. Well, you can get that, everybody, at alphawealthgroup.com or give Tom a call, 630-934-1855. All right. We've got another question here. Could you please speak to the pluses and minuses of buffered ETFs on your Sunday show? Mm -hmm. For your information, I'm in my mid-80s. So buffered ETFs. I know what ETFs are. Is there such a thing (laughs) as a buffered ETF? There is such a thing as a buffered ETF. I mean, this, okay. this this is just like it just never ends with all these things. Basically, a buffered ETF is an exchange traded fund. Again, we'll explain what an exchange traded fund. And, and real quickly, on exchange traded fund, you'll know mutual fund, exchange traded fund. They're both funds, which means they are again a basket of stocks or bonds or a combination. And so, it's an investment. It's a, a pool of investments. The difference is exchange-traded funds are not actively managed. They don't have a fund manager. Their expenses are very low. They can be traded like a stock. They're more tax-efficient. So people lean, lean more towards exchange-traded funds today than mutual funds, but they still are a fund. Now, they also offer buffered ETFs. Now, they just continue this to add to these different types of ETFs. A buffered ETF means that it's protected on the downside. So, for example... It says if you own this ETF, you, you know, if the market goes to 20, you can only go down 10. I'm just giving general rules on these. So you, you'll, you would not have a 20% drop. Some are tighter than that. Some are a 5% downside protection. The, the flip side to that, these buffered ETFs, are that they're also capped on the upside, right? So it might say, you, you know, you can get up to 15 or 20%, but beyond that, you will not get that getting anything Hmm. in addition to that. So they're structured in a way to try to minimize risk. So there's pros and cons to them. You don't get 100% of the upside. You don't get the dividends. So if it's an S&P, you know, if you own an S&P index fund, you get the dividends. The fees are a little higher. But again, the flip side is, you know, if the market's down 20, like it was last year, you will not be on some of these. All right, but you're also limiting the upside. So over time, how do buffered ETFs do compared to a regular ETF? You know, that is the, what is it, $96,000 question, (laughs) whatever it used to be. There's a great, actually, I don't know if you're a Honeymooners fan, but did you ever see the $99,000 question where Ralph Cramden goes on? I'm, I'm veering off here, but 
one of yeah. the funniest episodes. Uh, $99,000 question anyway, or $99,000 answer. Um, over time, you know, here's the thing they do. Okay. I mean, I, they, I think they haven't been around that long to really take a look at a history, a good history of, let's say 20 years. You don't ever want to look at, I shouldn't say ever, but you know, five year, three year period. That's a tough, not really a good, uh, benchmark, but, um, you know, again, if you want to still have some, I think there's other ideas like for example indexed if you're familiar we talked about these before indexed annuities there are some out there that you can get a really decent upside now but your downside is zero you can never lose on those so you know if i'm going to have market exposure this is again in my opinion you know stick with the market exposure the growth pieces that piece of your portfolio on the fixed side or the low volatility side you know, you can use things like we just talked about earlier, bonds and different types of bonds. You can also use inde- what are called indexed annuities. They actually they participate into the index up to a cap, like the buffered ETFs, except they have no downside. You will never have a negative year. All right. So lots of things to think about. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back, talk a little bit more about investing and a new survey at Gallup. You're listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink here with Tom Fortino of the Alpha Wealth Group. You can join our conversation, 630-934-1855, or go to alphawealthgroup.com. So, Tom, uh, the folks at Gallup do a survey every year. They do a lot of surveys, but this survey asks people what they think is the best long-term investment. Mm -hmm. And there are some interesting findings. Real estate is still number one but mm-hmm. drop from 45% of people thinking it's a, the best long-term investment to just over a third. Mm-hmm. Stocks and mutual funds dropped from 24% to 18%. Bonds were steady at 7%, although given the conversation, maybe that should go up. Uh, crypto went down 8% to 4%, and the only real gain was in gold, increasing from 15% to 26%. So... Let's start with gold, right? Mm-hmm. How often are people asking about gold these days? And and what do you tell them? Because I just don't see us returning to the gold standard anytime soon. And yet I feel like everybody who votes for gold all the time <laughs> is banking on the fact, other than in jewelry, which I'm a big fan of, sure. I, I just feel like they're banking on the fact that, that we're going into some sort of time period where you know gold bullion are going to be the thing that people use to buy groceries. Yeah, I mean, gold is all, you know, is considered this hedge against inflation. The difference between gold and silver, of course, is silver is used more readily in manufacturing processes and in a lot of different as part of industry. But gold really isn't used that much. Very rarely is it used in that sense. So it's not as much a commodity, even though it's considered a commodity from that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, gold can rally and it has had its moments where it's gone up in value. It's really tough. You know, there's a saying, even if we thought we were going back to the gold standard, which I'm not totally averse to. I mean, I I don't mind having a standard for money. So it's based on something. But I think the market can stay irrational much longer than you can stay solvent. Right. So you can say, I'm putting all my money in gold. (laughs) It's going to happen, you know, but good. I mean, I hope fine. You may believe in that. I'm not saying I'm averse to that. But that's really where gold comes into play. There's no dividend. It's, it's really a tough position to have. But again, I, I'm a fan of gold from the standpoint it's having it is not a bad thing. It's not going to go to zero, but 
those are the kind of the, the issues with gold. If you want to hold a position in it, it, you can trade it. It's similar to the crypto thing with, look, you can trade crypto. Is there actually a store of value there? Now, gold, the reality of gold is it is inert. I mean, you can find gold in the, that's been in the ocean for 300 years. You can dust it off. It looks perfect, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's an exchange. It's a limited supply. So it meets the criteria of a currency, unlike crypto, but can it be traded to make money? Yeah, the same thing with crypto. So that's kind of how I would look at it as part of your portfolio. Okay, but if you look at like a historical chart of gold uh-huh. prices, back in 1915, gold was 579 an ounce, right? right. Then in 1933, it was 609. Went all the way down to 282 in the early 70s, and then all the way up to $1,500 an ounce, almost $1,600 an ounce at the end of the 70s, back down to 464, back up to 2300 or something in 2012, down and then up. And now, you know, it's kind of where it is. I don't know where it is now, like 1900 or something. But Mm -hmm. there's real, what I would call real volatility over decades. Yeah, there's definitely volatility. Oh, no question about it. Right. Yeah. But it's, so, but it's not worth more than it was back 50 years ago, back in the 70s. Yeah, I guess the argument, again, with versus the dollar is, again, owning gold. But the point is, we're not going back to a gold standard anytime soon. I mean, the good old days where we were, we were actually at the break, we were talking about Bonanza. But yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where you could go. Yes. You used to go into a saloon, you throw a gold coin on the thing, you get a drink, you get your horse cleaned, you get a room for the night. You know, that's just those days are not around anymore. But yeah, you're, that's true about gold. It's it's a tough one. It's just not part of our currency right now. And so I agree. If you want to use it as a trade and you think, okay, it's going to go up and then I'm going to make a profit and I'm going to sell. Because GLD, by the way, that is, speaking of ETFs, exchange traded funds, GLD is a gold. It's, it follows the spot price of gold. So if you want to have exposure to that and you think it's going to go up in value and you use it as a trade, you can do that very easily. You can go on, buy GLD today. You can sell it in seconds online. So that's an option. All right. Well, so that's a great use in my mind of an exchange-traded fund because mm-hmm. you can get in and out of it pretty easily with gold. Yes. You're getting exposure to gold, and you don't actually physically have to take possession. Correct. Right. Correct. Of, Correct. Other than in jewelry. Right. See, that's the other upside of having it. But there yeah, you go. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's, um, I think, sort of interesting. So let's talk about some of the other kind of long-term value yeah. things. I, w- I was interested that real estate was number one, still number one. People are not so enamored with uh, real estate, even as we have a, such a housing shortage. Now, normally, if there was a shortage of something, you would tell people to buy it because supply and demand, right? Supply is down, mm-hmm. demand goes up you're going to end up with a higher price. But are people sort of missing the point around that? What do you think? Well, here's what I would say about all of these things. When you say which one's better, real estate or stocks or gold, or that's the wrong question. The question, they're different. They're not, one's not better than the other. In other words, real estate, you can get, obviously, rental from it. You can actually also, so you can get income from rent. You can also have a price appreciation. Those are all good things, but it's not liquid. You have to maintain it. Now, on a stock, maybe you say there's more volatility. I have to deal with that, but you can trade it. It's 100% liquid. Is there more appreciation in stocks versus real estate over the last 20 years? Again, it's just they're different animals. Now, can you own a piece of each in your portfolio? Sure. You know, I've got plenty of clients that own some real estate. They all have their pros and cons, right? So that's why it's great. Hey, if you have a piece of real estate and that's maybe 10% or 20% of your portfolio, fine. But I'm not saying one is not better than the other. They're just different. 
So I'm thinking of you get a condo, you pay cash for it, uh, and the rent is, you know, 10 or 15%, you know, of what you're getting after, and then you pay expenses on that, but you might still net out at eight to 10% as an investment, which might be yeah. better than almost anything else you can get. Yeah, and uh, there's depreciation, you know, so yep. you can cash flow it and, and deduct the depreciation, which technically is an out-of-pocket expense. You also, from a standpoint of owning real estate, it you know, there's unrealized gains. If you hold it forever, you're not going to pay. Effectively, that's not the right term, but it's tax deferred. I mean, if I buy a property for 100000 and today it's worth 500 I haven't paid any tax on it because I haven't sold it. I haven't realized the gain. And then when if it goes to my family members, they get a step up, and they don't pay tax on it too. So there's you can do 1035 exchanges like-kind exchanges. So, I mean, it can be part of the portfolio. That That's what I would say. Pros and cons to everything. Yeah, no, there's certainly that. And those 1031 exchanges are really interesting because they really allow you to, I think, you know, that deferral that you talked about, it also allows you to grow the amount, right? So as long as you buy something that costs mm-hmm. at least as much as what you're selling it for, you can defer that into the next property and the next property. Yeah. It only works for investment properties, doesn't work for your personal no, you property. <laughs> but- <laughs> or vacation home, yeah. And then yeah, I the misspoke. Other- I said 1035. That's on life insurance and annuities. But 1031, you're right. You corrected me. But yeah, if you find a qualified property, you have 90 days to, I think, 45 days to identify the property. There's a lot of rules. But you can do these like kind of exchanges. In fact, there's companies that, let's say, they own an office building or they own somewhat like a real estate trust, similar to that, yep. where you can sell your property. You don't have to go find another one. You don't have to own it. You can invest in that. You actually own part of this larger group of properties. It's still considered a like-kind exchange. You still can receive rent and you can do that. You can do a like-kind exchange 20 times. It's called swap till you drop, right? <laughs> yes, like you, can do, you can do like-kind exchanches <laughs> and then it goes all to your children the way down the line. Uh, right. And with then the they step-up basis. They don't pay the tax. Yep. Right. So all of that is is really, really good uh, to think about and, and why real estate remains one of the pillars of generational mm-hmm. wealth. When we talk sure. about that, it's something that you can really depend on. I guess the last part of this that I thought was sort of interesting is the idea that crypto, the fandom around crypto has fallen just a <laughs> bit. And I'm happy to see that because I think crypto, you and I have talked about this before, we think yeah. crypto is not, not really a real thing, but mm-hmm. I'm happy to see people be less enamored with crypto. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to trade it and it was at 18th, um, well, now we're talking about not Ethereum or that just tells you right there, Litecoin, we're talking about Bitcoin. Um, you know, it was 18,000. Now it's at 29. It was up over 70 or close to 70, I think at one point. And so again, there's a lot of volatility you can trade it. We all, I always say, and as someone, I'm borrowing it from someone else. I can't remember who said it. He said, when you get up in the morning to buy a car, and you don't know by the time you get to the dealership, you can buy one car, two cars, zero cars. That's not a currency. So, <laughs> right. So, and right. it's just, it's again, it's made out of nothing. I just, I'm not a fan of cryptocurrencies. I, we'll see what happens. I, you know, this guy named Peter Schiff, have you ever heard of him? He's a relatively well-known money manager, but he said, could it go to 100? That could happen, but inevitably it's going to zero. That's his belief, not mine. I'm just saying that. But All right. We'll, well we're going to. We're going to see. And we're going to leave it there because we're out of time. Uh, But Tom and I will be back next week with another edition of This Week in Wealth. And in the meantime, you can find him online, alphawealthgroup.com. You can still leave us a message or send a text with your questions, 630-934-1855. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Have a great week. Tom Fortino is an investment advisor representative of Retirement Wealth Advisors.
Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Advisor. Alpha Wealth Group, WGN, and RWA are not affiliated. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals specialized in fields of tax, legal, accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims-paying ability of the issuing company and are not offered by retirement wealth advisors. Insurance and annuities offered through Alpha Wealth Group, licensed in Illinois. Structured notes involve risks not associated with an investment in ordinary debt securities. The securities are not bank deposits and are not insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or any other government agency, nor are they obligations of or guaranteed by a bank. The securities will not be listed on any securities exchange and secondary trading may be limited. Therefore, there may be little or no secondary market for these securities. Accordingly, you should be willing to hold your securities to maturity. The securities are subject to the credit risk of the issuing bank and any actual or anticipated changes to its credit ratings or credit spreads may adversely affect the market value of the securities.